You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We'll put the verses on the screen, but if you have a, a physical copy or you want to use an app to do that, uh, if you turn there now, and let's continue the uh, tradition of standing together. This is God's living word. It is written for you, and it is the very words of God, a love letter to you. So we stand in the honor of reading God's word. We're going to read chapter 7, the first 10 verses together. I'm reading from the NIV. The teacher says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And do not say, why are the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Father, please do for us what just speaking alone cannot do, and that's to impart the truth of your word onto our hearts. And I pray they would find fertile soil to rest and take root in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. You know, over the last eight weeks, we've been on a joy ride through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, in it, we've been taking an honest and a very hard look at the realities of life under the sun in this world. And so first of all, we've seen how the world just keeps on moving forward. It keeps marching on, and we're this tiny little blip in this uh, vast expanse of time. And secondly, we've learned that we've just been confronted with this reality of death. We're all going to die. And like the animals around us, we're all going to return to the dust It's the great equalizer. It doesn't matter who you are, what your position is in life, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. We're all, death is coming for us all. And ultimately, not long after you die, no one's even going to remember you. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Thirdly, we looked at the random nature of life. We're going to look at it more in the coming weeks, but it often doesn't make sense uh, why some people are, are granted good fortune and pleasure and a life of ease and others experience loss or struggle or oppression. It's been a really like a roller coaster ride through life under the sun. And over and over, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he keeps coming back to this word hevel. And we learned that hevel is this Hebrew word. It means like smoke or vapor. And it's kind of what life is like. It seems to take shape, but just when you try to grab a hold of it, it escapes through your fingers and you come up empty. And so the first six chapters have been this run through life 
and just being real, like leveling with you. This is really what it's like. And now we get to chapter 7 and the, the teacher seems to shift gears just a little bit. And he starts to ask this question, if this is true, if life is like this, how are we to live in light of the harsh realities of life? How do we respond? How do we live? And he presents us with two options. The first one is a foolish way. And the second one, take a guess, it's a wise way. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Then verse 5, he says, it's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. So wise and, and fools. This uh, Later this week on Friday, praise be to God, I'm taking my family on a week-long vacation. Really excited. Amen. Uh, have you ever had this experience, like where you go to the lake, you go on vacation, you go somewhere, and it's that day that you're heading home. And maybe there's like this feeling of, of dread that just suddenly hits you when you're like, oh man, like back to reality tomorrow. You ever felt that way? Like all the problems that you left behind, all the work that you put down, all the relational dysfunction back home, it's all still waiting for you when you get there. And like, it's certainly true that there is a time for vacations and and there is definitely a way that you can enjoy those well. It can also point to this desire that we all have, me especially, to escape and sitting in the feeling of the pains of this life. You know what I'm saying? It's what's meant in verse four by the heart of the fool being in the house of pleasure. Because the fool is the person who seeks to escape the troubles of life and seeks to just escape. How do we, how do we do that? Like, how does, what does that look like for you or for me? How do we seek to escape life? Well, Netflix, that's one way we do it, right? Just binge a show, get my mind off things. You can Google it right now. There's literally uh, articles on how during the pandemic you can escape uh, by watching this show, this series or that one. Another way we do it, social media. Like we'll just like numb out to social media. Maybe it's with food. It's one of my favorites. Uh, my wife sometimes like, you know, we're in that stage of life where our kids are transitioning. They're teens and moving out of the house, getting married. It's like a lot of change and there's a lot of pain and difficulty in this stage of life. I'm just going to tell you, if you have parents, or you're a parent of a young child, I'm just letting you know, it gets harder. Uh, just so you know, and there's nights when like, it's just not awesome in my house. And what I tend to do like to help, well, really help me escape is I'm like, babe, babe, don't be upset. Don't be sad. Uh, I'll run to Fazoli's and I'll get us some cheesecake. You know what I'm saying? Because they have uh cheesecake factory, cheesecake at Fazoli's. Praise be to God. Yeah. And so I get that and all the problems of the world are gone. You know, until I'm done eating it, now I'm full, I feel kind of bad, and the problems are still there. Pornography, it's another way that people see, tend to escape substance abuse. It could be like alcohol, like overusing alcohol, smoking weed, you know. Vacations could be one of those ways. Work. Sometimes like things are just so hard, I'd rather just go to work and plug away and at least get something done. Parties, comedy, a little Jim Gaffigan goes a long way. To kind of soothe the soul. Virtual reality, video games. Have you heard about the metaverse? I think Jared mentioned this just a couple weeks ago. Mark Zuckerberg is real excited. The dude who started Facebook. 
I think it's called Meta now, isn't it? It's not even called Facebook anymore. Did you know that? Hmm. Well, apparently, we're all heading towards this virtual reality where we're all going to live in a fake world. We're all going to get to escape this life and create the life that we want virtually somewhere. And some of us are sitting there thinking like, awesome. Um, Some of these things, by the way, you may notice, can be good. Work, I mean, that's good. Vacations can be good. Food's definitely good. I mean, we need that. But any one of these things, and I mean, many more could be added to the list. But any one of these could be used as a way of like coping or, or worse yet, escaping or avoiding the feelings that are brought about by the hevel of life. Speaking of feelings, my favorite topic. That's um, not really. Uh, we're going to put uh, the eight core feelings of the feelings check-in. Have you, have you ever done one of these? Like if you're in a DNA in our church, we encourage you to do a feelings check-in. We actually encourage you to do this, okay? But these are the eight feelings that we're going to like look at as a DNA. And if you're not, by the way, a part of one, I strongly encourage you to talk to your MC host about getting in one. Good for your soul. But in that, we're going to start out by seeing what we're feeling. And we have these eight core feelings. And, and if you look at those at first glance, for me, I see glad, sad, anger, guilt, lonely, fear, shame, hurt. Well, I see one good one. And then I see seven feelings that I really would like to avoid. In fact, when the first time I ever did this, and for the first several times I ever did a feelings check-in, my answer was always the same. Glad. Where's awesome on the list? You know, I feel awesome. I feel great. You know, I see your brother back there, uh, same way. Um, that's just how I felt. And whatever I could do to avoid the bad ones, I wanted to escape those. But the teacher says that there's actually a better way than trying to avoid or escape. There's an alternative to escapism. And it's a way that leads us to wisdom. And that way is to accept all that life has to offer. In other words, that all of life is out of your control. We have to accept that all of life is out of control and learn to live with open hands. And we have to know that the moments that are hard have something to teach us. And the moments that are hard have something, a gift to give us. So for example, if we put those back up, uh, those feelings, if, if we're not sad, if we don't experience sadness, we can never experience comfort. Did you know that God is a God of comfort? But you can never experience that if you refuse to feel a feeling of sadness. Or if, if you don't experience anger, you could never experience passion. Or guilt. If you don't feel guilt, you could never experience forgiveness. I mean, think about this. Okay, You've wronged somebody. You've hurt someone by an action that you've done. And you have two options. You could take option A, which is what I like to do, and that's avoid them. You know, I'm not going to be around them because I'm, that's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And I, I just would rather not have anything to do with them because I don't want that brought up. I don't want to feel those feelings. Or you could move towards that person and seek to reconcile. And when you do, you could actually experience forgiveness. Or what if you've been wronged by someone else? You could do the same thing. You could seek to avoid that person. Like, I'm not going to be around them. They are so awful. Or you could move towards that person and because of the hurt that you feel, you could also, by extending forgiveness, you could experience healing. You know, you can't experience these things without feeling those feelings. You know, I love to laugh. I love to laugh a lot. My favorite movies are comedies. I love to have a good time. But I've never gained wisdom in moments of laughter like I have in moments of sadness. 
So we learn to live life with open hands in the midst of the brokenness of this world. To enjoy life as you actually experience it and not as you think it ought to be. Get that again. We want to enjoy life as we actually experience it and not just the way we think it ought to be. For example, look back at verse 2. He said, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. You know, the house of mourning, this is like a, a funeral home, right? We're going to a funeral. And at a funeral, there's a couple of ways that you can approach a funeral. You could, there's two different kinds of people sitting in there. There's one kind of person who sits at the funeral and is like, this is really a drag. This is really sad. It's really depressing. And I cannot wait to get out of here. I, I want to go to the potluck afterwards. I, I want to go back to my life, you know, and quit thinking about this. The other way we can view the funeral that we're at, we can look at that casket and we can learn from the one in that casket. And death draws us in and we can remember that it won't be long and it's going to be my turn. And when I think about the end of my life, it gives me wisdom on how to live my life today. Death's a good teacher. It teaches us a lot more than laughter does. Laughter's so good for the soul, but death is a better teacher. For example, uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I was engaged to be married. It was a couple months away. I know you think that's crazy, but it's awesome. Okay. So anyway, I was uh, engaged to be married. It was the summer of 99. And I was working with a couple of friends, one of whom was Jared Pickney. And we were working at Lakeside Metals, Mr. Kyle Lane. We were working out there. And uh, we took a lunch break to the, I think it was called the Goody Barn uh, down there. And we lost our ride back. Okay. So it's about a mile down the road, highway 135. I got a picture of highway 135. We'll put on the screen here. And so we decided because we lost our ride, I don't know what happened or how this came about, but we decided we're going to walk back to work. Okay. So we decided we're going to walk down this road right here back to work. And, uh, we had to come across this little bridge here, which goes across some kind of little Creek. And we're walking on the oncoming side of traffic, which is what you're supposed to do. And there's no traffic coming. So I'm walking there kind of on the white line. Right there between where that white line is and that little bit of concrete. I'm going to guess that's about 9 to 12 inches, somewhere in there. Okay, that little path that I have. And that's where I'm walking. And I'm goofing around, walking across. I'm the first one of my friends across the, the bridge. And as I get to the far side, I haven't crossed all the way yet. I can hear the guys yelling at me from behind. They're like, Robert! Down the road! You know, yelling like that. As I turn around to see what the commotion's about, a semi-truck is passing a car and is now in the lane that I'm, that I'm standing next to. And so as you can see, you can imagine I turn around and my, my nose is like right here next to the semi-truck that's doing probably about 50 miles an hour about the time he passes. And I mean, if I, I'm telling you, if I'd have stuck my arm out, I would have lost it. It was, it was so close. And death like grabbed me by the shoulders, stared me in the eyes and gave me a gift. Because after that was over, I remember walking over to that grassy spot on the left on the far side. I was grabbing my knees. I was physically shaking really hard. And I remember saying these words to Jared. I was like, I've, I've got to go call Allison. I've got to call my wife. And I remember getting on the phone with her and be like, babe, I almost died today and I love you. I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life with you. And I don't care if it's, an, it's only one more day. Like, I just want to spend it with you. And I was working as a, uh, a youth minister also. I'd just gotten my first job as a youth pastor at a Clark's Chapel. This little bit old church out by the racetrack here. And I remember it was a Wednesday uh, at lunch that this happened. 
Well, Wednesday night, we had church service. And I remember going that night, and I had a renewed zeal. They knew God had visited this man today. And they were like, I was like, you need to be saved. You know, you don't know how long your life is. And I'm telling you, it, it was, and it's, it's kind of funny, but it was a gift to me. It really gave me like a new perspective on, you know, it gave this 18-year-old a lot of wisdom really fast. And it was a great gift. But even wisdom, and we are to gain wisdom. The, the, the teacher here tells us like wisdom is good, but even wisdom is going to have its limitations. It's going to leave you with unanswered questions. It's going to leave you still wanting more. In fact, in verse 23, it's not part of what we read a while ago, but he goes on to say in verse 23, all of this I tested by wisdom. And I said, I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. In other words, there's still something that I just wasn't getting. I couldn't get enough knowledge. I couldn't get wise enough. And so if wisdom is the way we should go, and that's how we should live life, and like embracing these difficult moments, if that's what we should do, and it's going to leave me still wanting and still not getting where I want to go, then what is the answer? Well, this is where there is an invitation to the good news about Jesus. There is a truer meaning to the text we've read read today. There's a richer meaning to the teacher's words when we apply the gospel to these words. Did you realize that the whole of scripture, the entire scripture is telling one unifying uh, uh, story of redemption and Jesus is the hero of the story. He is the main character. Jesus is all over the Bible, even in the Old Testament. Jesus is not in the Old Testament like sitting on the sidelines waiting for his turn to come in. That's not how it is. He's all over it. In fact, we're going to put a few things on the screen, but let's just see how we see Jesus all over the Old Testament. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the one who restores what the first Adam lost. You remember that? Adam falls into sin. Jesus restores us to that relationship with God. He's the great deliverer like Moses who leads us out of slavery because we're slaves to sin and leads us into a land flowing with milk and honey. That's good news. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is the king who conquers giants like David. Jesus is the one in whom we find our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the prophet who reveals the very nature, the very character of God. And Jesus is the final sacrifice who will end all sacrifices. He is the one, by the way, in whom all the joys of life and all the pains of life find their ultimate meaning. It's Jesus. And so, let's now apply life with Jesus to the passage we just read. Let's just go back to verse 1 as an example, okay? Let's look at verse 1 again. It says that a good name is better than fine perfume. And at first glance, you could say, well, of course, sure. It's better to have a good reputation than it is to smell good. I mean, smelling good is good, right? Tell your neighbor, I'm glad you smell good. Yes? Amen. If your neighbor smells bad, please don't say that. It's better to, but even though that's good, it's better to have a good name, a good reputation. You may say, well, of course. Because like, what good is it to smell good, but when someone hears your name, they like, ugh. You know what I'm saying? Or when you walk in the room, you may put off a good smell, but the people are like, oh man, I really wish he wasn't there. 
Better to have a good name than to smell good. So what is a good name? Is it to have a good reputation? Well, yes. Is it to be a man or a woman of your word? I mean, of course. But when Jesus breaks into your life and you surrender to Jesus in faith, he makes you a new person, Jay. Jesus makes you a new person. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says that those who are in Christ are new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. Like the old you has passed away and no longer lives. Okay. So like Penny, Addison, like when you were here, like we saw a visual representation of what has happened in your life. The old you died and it's gone and a new you's been raised. You're a new man. You're a new woman. And not only that, but he's given you a new name. Just like Jacob in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know the story of Jacob, but Jacob uh, had this encounter with God and it radically changed his life. And God says, I'm not only changing your life, but I'm changing your name. And he gives him this name Israel because of this like change in his life. What's so interesting is our kids are studying this today. I think I brought it up. They're studying it today, aren't they? Oh, I got it. I got it. I found it. I was like, I've got to bring this up. All right. So the fourth and fifth graders, all the kids have it. By the way, I'm going to read from the fourth and fifth grade take-home sheet today. By the way, if your kid's back in the back, please grab this sheet from their teacher and like continue these conversations at home. But we're, they're learning about Jacob back in the back. And here's what it says on the little take-home sheet. It says that God changed Jacob's life and gave him a new name, Israel. Jesus came. So that we might have a changed life, forgiven of sin. Jesus' death and resurrection provided sinful people the way to be adopted into God's family. When we trust in Jesus, we also receive a new name, children of God. That's good news. And that is a good name. To be called a child of God, that is a new name. And not only that, not only are you called a son of God, a daughter of God, but your name, if you are in Christ, is written in the Lamb's book of life. Did you know that? I remember being in high school thinking it'd be a really cool honor to have my name written in that National Honor Society book. You know what I'm talking about? They send that thing out. If you get in the National Honor Society, that's a pretty good name. And you can get this as a black book and it comes out and has everyone in the United States. It gets into the National Honor Society that year. And we have one at home. And you can go in and you can look under Arkansas and you can scroll through the couple thousand names. I think the, uh, anyway, I'm not saying anything else about it. But anyway, uh, you can scroll through those thousands of names in alphabetical order. And there it is. That's my name. Man, what an honor. Oh, but what a greater honor to know that my name is in his book. Like even to know that it would be written in some little corner of the page. What a great honor. What a good name. The Jewish high priest, before the temple was destroyed, they had these uh, ways of doing sacrifices and they would wear these really elaborate garments. And one piece of the, the, the outfit that the high priest would wear when he would go in to make sacrifices on behalf of the people was this breastplate that he would wear. Like this big right here. And on this breastplate, there were 12 precious stones that were on there. Okay, like in rows. Okay, four by three. 
And on those were written the names of the heads of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel. We just learned about, you know, Jacob, Israel, his 12 sons. I want to read to you Exodus 28, verse 29, when God is first like saying, this is how you're to dress. He says, like the high priest should dress. Whenever Aaron, who's the high priest, enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. And so each gem on that had an inscription of the name of one of the 12 sons of Israel. They were Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Naphtali, Reuben, Simeon, Zebulun, Judah, and Benjamin. Now think about this. Judah, what an honor for him to have his name engraved on the breastpiece of the high priest when he goes in to make sacrifice for the people of Israel. What an honor. What a good name. But, O son of God, O daughter of God, know this, that your name, because of what Christ has done for you, has been written on the very heart of God. Not just on some high priest, but on the great high priest, Jesus himself. Your name is inscribed on the heart of Jesus himself. And that is a good name. Not only that, but like the idea of having my name tattooed on someone famous. Seems like it would be a great honor. Okay? I can just imagine Tom Brady thinking like, you know what? I want to inscribe Robert Piercy's name right here on my throwing arm. You know what I'm saying? Why he would do that, I have no idea. But what an honor that would be. Did you know that Isaiah tells us that God inscribes the names of his children on the palms of his hands? Did you know that? What an honor. I'm telling you this. God, our father, is much better than Tom Brady. And it's such a greater honor to know that we've been given a name like that. That's a good name. Not only is a good name better than outward, outward smells, but the day of death, he says, is better than the day of birth. You kind of hear that and be like, mm, I don't know about that because I've been to some uh, death days and they seem kind of like a drag. And I've been to some birth days and they seem like they were pretty awesome. You know, like the day of your birth was a day of celebration. Okay. Knowing that like Penny, after she was born and, and especially after some difficulty, I'm assuming that I don't know the whole story, but I'm assuming that like once uh, like you knew she was okay or coming home or whatever, that would be a day from of celebration. That would be a day of, of rejoicing. And, and it's new beginnings. There's all this potential. But how much more so will there be rejoicing and celebration at the day of your death if you have that good name? Because at the day of your death, not only is there like uh, n- this new life that you've experienced like when you were born, but there is now real life that you're going to get to experience. So like, I'm going to, I don't want to go too far with this, but like when you're born, you know, you kind of push through this like really difficult thing. It was the hardest thing you had done up to that point. Okay. So far you'd been cocooned in this like really warm jelly, like for a while. It was awesome. Life was good. And then like, ah, you know, it was awful. You come out like, ah, you know, it's awful. But New life, like you're breathing air, like, woo, that was, wow, way to go, it was awesome. Listen, there's coming a day where you're going to do a kind of a similar thing. You're going to push through the veil of death, and on the other side of that, you're going to experience life like you have never experienced it before. And that day of death is going to be far better than the day of your birth, if you're in Christ. Not only that, but we don't know at the day of birth 
what's going to become of that newborn baby. I mean, that's true. There's all this hope. There's all this potential. But we don't know what kind of pain, what kind of sorrow, what kind of misery is going to befall the life of that child. Those beautiful little eyes that you stare into and you say, oh, your heart just swells up. Those little eyes are going to shed tears. Those tiny bones that are so fragile, they're going to feel pains. That beating heart that is so precious is going to be broken. But you know, at the day of your death, all of that pain, all of that sorrow, all of that misery that you've experienced all throughout your life will be over. There'll be no more sadness or mourning or weeping, crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away and God will make all things new. Not only that, but at the day of your birth, there's spiritual uncertainty. You don't know, you're not guaranteed if this little one is going to grow up to love God or to despise him. And you don't know. However, at the day of your death, it will be certain that if you are in Christ, you know one of the ways that we know that we belong to Jesus? Paul says that one of the ways that we know that we belong to him is that we endure to the end. And so once you get to the day of your death and you've endured to the end and, and like you're going to enter into your father's rest, you will know that like my eternity is in fact secure. I know I'm safe and there'll be total certainty. Not only is it better, by the way, than the day of your birth, not only is the day of your death better than the day of your birth, but it's better than all your best days. If you're in Jesus The day of your death will be better than any of your best days. For example, the day you turn 16. Remember that one? I don't know if your 16th was as good as mine, but I was gifted a really awesome 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra Classic. Okay, yes, amen. Uh, It was brown, kind of like a turd, and uh, (laughs) ran kind of like that too. Had a four-cylinder in it, and uh, for a... 16-year-old boy, that's not very helpful. Uh, but anyway, I was so thrilled with it. In fact, it was the getaway car when we got married. We were riding away in that thing, you know? You remember that? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> My mom had also gotten me a, a, a truck for like just before graduation. She got me a truck. And it was a 1977 Chevy Bonanza cute green. Okay. Boy, I did it awful, like two tone green. And it, there was not a pretty green color in the two tones. And I remember, uh, it had a short in the wiring. And every time I'd turn on my blinker and turn left, the horn would honk. Okay. And so I can remember driving through Jonesboro. I put that left blinker on and you know how the old trucks, you've got to turn the wheel like six times to get it to turn left. And I was like, every time you'd pass a certain spot, it would honk. So it's like honk, 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 you know, that's how I would do. Every time he turned left, I was like, just forget the blinker. One day I'm driving to school, uh, my senior year of high school. I remember driving to school and I wasn't, nothing happened. I was just driving along and all of a sudden, and it won't stop. And I shut the truck off. It's still going. I'm like, oh my gosh, pop in the hood. And I found there's two wires that like connect them. I pulled them apart. Anyway, forget the horn. I don't want it. But I remember how awesome it felt to have that truck. How awesome it felt to have that car and have that freedom. Let me tell you this. Better than that day will be the day of your death because you'll experience freedom like you've never felt it before. You'll be free to love God and to know and, and uh, yourself and him the way you were intended to know him. Better than 
your favorite Christmas day is going to be the day of your death. Your favorite Christmas day, like mine, you know, if it's the one when I got my Tonka trucks, I remember they were these yellow trucks made of metal. I got a dump truck. I remember I got a, uh, a bulldozer, like four or five little Tonka trucks. And I remember thinking like, this is awesome. Like, and I remember the next year I told my mom, like what I wanted from Santa was I wanted the exact same thing I got last year because I'd worn them out. Okay. And I didn't get the same thing I got last year. It was not a good Christmas, but the Tonka truck year was awesome. Let me tell you this, the day of your death is going to be better because you're going to receive an inheritance from God. It's a gift unlike anything you've ever received in this world. I don't care if it's the best Christmas you've ever experienced, the best gift you've ever received. Because when you enter into, in, into that day, when you pass through that veil, you will receive a crown of life. Get this. You know why you'll receive that? Because you are storing up for yourselves right now, oh brother in Christ, oh sister in Christ. You're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And moth and rust can't get in there and do anything to it. There's no thief that can get in there and steal it. And when you pass through death, you're going to experience the greatest gift you've ever experienced. Maybe the day of you buying your first house. I remember when Alice and I, we bought our first house. It's the house we still live in today. We bought it in 2000. And uh, we were moving in there. I remember my buddy, Scott Henson, he had a Chevy S10 stick uh, shift, you know, and he was, he was younger than I was. So he was trying to back up my really steep driveway with furniture in the back of his S10. And it wasn't designed to do this. He tore up his transmission trying to get up into my driveway. And I remember moving that stuff in there. We were so, you know, not dumb. We were just, you know, like ignorant. Awesome. It was great. And we're just moving in there and so proud. Just thinking like, this is mine. I belong here. I live in this house. That was such a good day. But what a better day it's going to be when I enter into the the house that he's been preparing for me. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for me, you can guarantee that I'm going to come and take you with me so that where I am, you can be there too. He's preparing a place for you. Oh, and on that day, I'm going to be with him and I'm going to belong there. That's going to be my home. Anybody here experienced a day of retirement yet? Well, oh, praise God. Okay. A couple of us. That's awesome. I'm going to assume I, Marlon, listen, I'm going to pick on you for a second because uh, I didn't ask for permission to do this, but I was in a DNA with Marlon for a while. And I just remember him talking about praying through like retirement, like it's coming. I'm, I'm he was so excited. I like, trying to figure it out. Like when's, you know, I just know that when it happened, like, man, what an awesome day. They celebrate retirement. They, they throw parties when you have retirement. That's a good day, is it not? Like, I don't have to get up and go to work. I can do whatever I want now. I can, hopefully, I can serve God in ways I never was able to do before. Okay, that's another sermon. But, I mean, it's awesome. Okay? How much better when we enter into our Father's rest? Oh, that day is going to be so good because not only are we going to enter into his rest, but somehow at retirement, no offense to you, Marlon, but uh, like our bodies don't work as good because we're a little older, you know what I'm saying? So like um, there was a comedian once who had it right saying that like life is backwards. We should be able to experience retirement when we're young and we're able to enjoy it, you know, but somehow we experience retirement when we're old and the feeble, you know, but what's so good about the inheritance you're going to receive on the day of your death is that God is going to make this body we're in new, okay, at the last day, at the resurrection. I'm so pumped about that. However, this is true. If you put all of your best days together, they wouldn't compare to that day. Not only that, but if you put all of your holy days together, 
they wouldn't compare to the day of your death. For example, think about the day of your conversion. Do you remember how sweet that day was? The day that Jesus entered into your life and changed you? Addison, I was just thinking about your story as you were sharing that. Like the way that Jesus, I think you said, just like wrecked your life. And how awesome that was. To think like, my sins have been forgiven. Like I've never felt closer to God. And like this, the rapture in your soul. That day, the day of your death, will be even better still. Because even at the day of your conversion, you see Christ in a way you've never seen him before. But Paul says we see him through like this glass, like a foggy mirror. Okay, But on that day, you're going to see him with that thing removed. Like you're going to see Jesus face to face. And it's going to be better than than even the day of your conversion or the day of your baptism. Jay, this is going to be a day you remember, I hope. Okay, This is going to be a day that you can always look back on like, man, what a good day this was. This was a great day. Let me tell you what, when we experience the day of our death, it'll be even better than the day of our baptism. Or maybe some of these sweet moments of communion that you've experienced. I can remember so many times it was always over in this corner. Our family, our missional community would meet together over here. We would take communion together. We would pray together some of the sweetest times. And I can remember, I I mean, because it happens every week. Like we sit right there. That's my family in that row. And like we'll sit there and stand there and we'll pray together and we'll take communion together. We're just reminded that like we need one another and we need Jesus And there's just sweet, sweet times. But how much better is it going to be when we experience that together on the other side? When we experience it together in perfect communion with one another. Not just with one another, but with all those in Christ that we've lost before. Boy, that's going to be a good day. Or even better than our most intimate prayer gatherings. If you're not not signed up yet, please sign up to come to this prayer gathering on Wednesday. It's literally the sweetest times I've ever had in this church. When we get together and we pray together, I mean, somehow like the singing is sweeter. I don't, I don't know why. I, well, I mean, I do know why, but I mean, like the, the, the intimacy is greater. I mean, it's just like so sweet. But how much better is it going to be when we sing together on that day? How much better is the day of our death going to be than even all of our holy days put together? And you could put all of your holy days, all of your good days, and even the day of your birth. You could put all those things together. And if you are in Christ, they will pale in comparison to the day of your death. That's true for every person who has that good name. However, you must have that good name for that to be true of you. As I was studying this week, I came across a sermon that um, Charles Spurgeon had preached back in the 1800s on this very verse, uh, Ecclesiastes 7.1. And I'll read you a quick excerpt. Uh, from his sermon. He says, you must have that good name. You must be written upon the heart of Christ, written in the Lamb's book of life, or else this text is not true of you. And alas, although the day of your birth were even a bad day, the day of your death will be a thousand times worse. For when you die, my hearer, recollect what will happen to you unless you have that good name. You'll be driven from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. And you'll begin to feel the terrors of his vengeance. And then when the day of judgment comes, God will prove that he is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. For there must you dwell in everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. So that the day of your death will be as a day of darkness and not of light. And it will be better for you that you had never been born. 
So hearer, flee to Christ because in Jesus you receive a good name. And then what the teacher says in verse 10 is even doubly true for you. He says that the good old days are not behind you. The good old days are still to come. That'll be so true of you. And you may hear all this and say like, yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome. I mean, it gets me fired up. But how does it like help me in my day-to-day life? I mean, like the suffering still comes. The, the unpredictability of life still hitting me. Like how does knowing that one day I'm going to pass through death and like it's going to be over, how does that help me today? Well, what we can do is allow these truths to serve as a ballast for our life. And you may not know what a ballast is, but in, in boat making, like when they make a boat, they put a lot of weight at the bottom of the hull of a boat. Uh, in, in fact, in large, large ships, cruise ships, things like that, there's a, there's a hollowed out portion at the very bottom that they fill with water to help provide weight at the bottom of the boat. You may think like, why would they do that? Well, it's to provide like an anchor of sorts as that boat's floating around in the water. It, it provides stability against the waves that crash against that boat. When the storms come, the ballast serve as a way to keep that boat upright. Just like the truths of the gospel can help keep your life upright when the storms of this life hit. So when you experience loss, when you experience hurt, preach the good news to yourself. Every time you experience one of those pains or a loss, remind yourself, be reminded and thank God that this is a reminder that one day these will all be over. And receive the gifts that these experiences have to offer. Namely, that you're, they're pointing you to the day when all these sad things are going to come untrue. And rather than viewing trouble as an enemy, view trouble as a friend. It's like Joseph said to his brothers. Joseph's brothers like hated him. They tried to destroy his life. But God actually used their efforts to destroy him to actually save him and his whole family. If you haven't read the story, you read through the second half of the book of Genesis. But in the end of Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says to his brothers, and you can say this to your enemy, your enemy being the devil who does want to destroy your life. He's trying. You feel it. But you can say to your enemy, what you intended for evil against me, God has intended for my good. I may not understand how that's true. I may not see how that's going to work out. But I'm trusting like a ballast for the ship of my life. I'm trusting that God is working all these things together for my good. And I can be reminded that God takes the broken pieces of life and makes masterpieces.